Hello, this is Father John Arnold, and this is Oral Valley Catholic. You know, Jesus commands each of us to spread the gospel. Uh, we're supposed to bring people back into union with God. And the one thing that I think is pretty apparent about American culture is how distant uh, the understanding of God is to so many people. So how do we evangelize? What do you think of evangelization? I want to talk about evangelization as it has been uh, presented in American culture, how maybe you've experienced it, then talk about evangelization in the gospel, and then finally conclude with some, uh, I think, helpful and hopeful understandings of what it means for you and I to evangelize and uh, fulfill God's commandment to us. So stay tuned. Here's an interesting quote from one of the most important sermons ever preached uh, in North America. It's from Jonathan Edwards' Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, preached on July 8, 1741 in Enfield, Connecticut. And here's just one quote. There's nothing that keeps wicked men at any one moment out of hell but the mere pleasure of God, end quote. They say that when he preached that in his church in Enfield, people fainted that people were immediately converted, that they wept. It, the reaction to it, uh, according to George Marston, uh, a history of, of pro, a historian of Protestantism in, in, uh, in our country, and especially uh, Presbyterianism and its roots in the Congregationalist preaching in, uh, in Connecticut and Massachusetts, is that people were so overwhelmed that Jonathan Edwards couldn't, uh, couldn't complete the, the sermon. And so what happened in that town, according to Marsden, is it became a very ultra-religious town following 1741. People would stop work and be talking about scripture, um, very, very concerned about their own salvation. And so what happened to all of that? Uh, well, it kind of wore off. In fact, it wore off Within, within the generation, a few years passed, and people kind of went back uh, to what they were doing anyway. What's the problem with evangelizing uh, about fear of hell? What's the problem with evangelizing that the way to escape hell is to uh, give your soul to Jesus? Here is another line from Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Quote, the bow of God's wrath is bent and the arrow made ready on the string and justice bends the arrow at your heart and strains the bow and it's nothing but the mere pleasure of God and that of an angry God without any promise or obligation at all that keeps the arrow one moment from being drunk with your blood. Wow, now that's of iron brimstone preaching. You know, I have heard Catholics say to me, they grew up with such fire and brimstone preaching. I, I don't know what your experience was, but I was at St. Peter and Paul with the Monsignor Arthur Gramer, and we always talked about Jesus and love of neighbor and what it was to live a Christian life. I cannot ever remember being particularly afraid of hell because of anything any priest had ever said to me. And I went through 12, this is 12 years of Catholic school talking through high school at least, if, and also seminary and everything else. But it just has never been a prominent part of, Catholic, of Catholic preaching. But it has been a huge part of Protestant preaching. I don't know if you've ever read the book by Sinclair Lewis, uh, uh, Elmer Gantry, 
It's about what you and I think of, these big tent meetings uh, and these, this, these kind of loose cannon preachers running around the country. There was uh, Elmer Gantry is a, a, a drunk and a womanizer, but boy, he can grab a Bible and he can preach. And um, he loves to deflower virgins, uh, at least in both the book and the movie. Um, and so uh, the movie, which is readily accessible, won a bunch of Oscars in 1960. That's the year the movie came out. Starred Burt Lancaster, Shirley Jones, and some others. But I remember it so well because there's this scene at the beginning of the movie where Elmer Gantry, before he kind of finds himself on a preacher, though he's been messing around with it apparently, kind of unseriously just to make some money, but he's in a bar and somebody challenges him. And this is a, a line from the script in the movie which I always remember because it was such a great image. Here it is, and so this is uh, Burt Lancaster in the movie Elmer Gantry. You think religion is for suckers and easy marks and molly coddlers, eh? You think Jesus was some kind of sissy, hey? Well, let me tell you, Jesus wouldn't be afraid to walk into this joint and any other speakeasy to preach the gospel. Jesus had guts. He wasn't afraid of the whole Roman army. Think that quarterback's hot stuff? Well, let me tell you, Jesus would have made the best little all-American quarterback in the history of football. Jesus was a real fighter, the best little scrapper, pound for pound, you ever saw. And why, gentlemen? Love, gentlemen. Jesus had love in both fists. And what is love? Love is the morning and the evening star. It shines on the cradle of the babe. Hear ye sinners, love is the inspiration of poets and philosophers. Love is the voice of music. I'm talking about divine love, not carnal love. Well, Elmer had plenty of carnal love in the movie uh, because he's a pretty corrupt character. And the way that the preaching works in the movie is Elmer makes him afraid of hell and everybody is dangling over the eternal uh, flames. And then the, the lady who preaches, Sharon Falconer, comes out and she talks about salvation by grace. You just accept Jesus and uh, you're going to escape hell. So it's kind of the carrot and stick approach to evangelization. But does that strike you as a way that lives are really transformed? You know, because that is kind of our image of uh, salvation, that salvation is fire insurance, that when we preach, what we preach is, boy, if you do not give your soul to Jesus, you will be condemned and burn eternally. And I got to tell you, parents are afraid of all of that. They're afraid for their kids. And, and I understand that. I think everybody listening to this podcast understands that. But what is evangelization? And so let's take a look at the gospel today. Because I'd say Elmer Gantry or Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God, from American perspectives, this is old school preaching. But it's not old school preaching according to the gospel. Because Jesus sends out his disciples, 70 of them, or 72, depending on which gospel or translation you're reading, and I'll explain that in a minute. But he sends them out to tell people peace and say, this is the time to be reconciled to God. This, friends, is old school preaching. So let's turn to the gospel and listen to the master evangelizer, Jesus Christ, tell us how to do it. Mm -hmm. 
So this Sunday's gospel is from Luke. And after uh, the challenges of being a disciple, how difficult it, it is sometimes for people, it's not easy. People say, gosh, religion must be such a great comfort and consolation to you. I say that Catholics have the same struggles that everybody else does. And yes, religion does play a large role in giving our sacrifices, our suffering, meaning and purpose. But suffering is still suffering. It's just we know why, we're, why we are suffering. And that is really behind Jesus sending out these 72 disciples, two by two, uh, to go out and preach the good news. You know that number 72, because remember it's, there's Jesus, then there's Peter, James, and John, uh, who seem to be the inner circle. Then there's the 12 apostles, uh, which are the 12 tribes of Israel. And now here's an additional 72 disciples. And, you know, depending, depending on the translation, because in the ancient manuscripts, manuscripts it's either 70 or 72. Uh, there, there really is a discrepancy on the number. And it apparently goes back to translation issues between the Hebrew version of uh, Genesis and Exodus uh, and then the Septuagint, the Greek version. Why, why, why is all this involved? Well, in Genesis is the story of Noah. And if you remember, Noah's family is the only family that survives and he has his sons. And then in Genesis 11, um, it, it talks about uh, all the nations that descended from Noah's sons because it's like recreation, right? Uh, where does all these nations come from? Well, they come from the sons of Noah who are the only survivors of this great flood. And depending on whether you read the Hebrew version or the Greek version, these are either 70 or 72 nations. And so that the point of it is, whichever way, way the number comes out, is that when Jesus sends out his 72 disciples, it is to recall everybody from the uh, from all the nations on earth and so you have to see the symbolism of the number and it's the fulfillment of the prophecy which is from the first reading for the 14th Sunday in or Sunday in ordinary time from Isaiah 66 and it says that oh that uh, talking about um, Jerusalem as a mother and here's what it says Thus says the Lord, rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad because of her. All you who love her, exult, exult with her. All you who are mourning over her, oh, that you may suck fully of the milk of her comfort, that you may nurse with delight at her abundant breasts. For thus says the Lord, lo, I will spread prosperity over Jerusalem like a river and the wealth of nations like an overflowing torrent. As nurslings, you shall be carried in her arms and fondled in her lap. As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. In Jerusalem, you shall find your comfort. When you see this, your heart shall rejoice, and your bodies flourish like the grass. And the Lord's power shall be known to his servants. Now that is only verses 10 through 14 of Isaiah chapter 66. But if you go back and read of all of 66, it's about these, uh, this call out to all the nations and they all come to Jerusalem. They come with their cattle and their camels. They bring their wives. They bring their little kids. And then Isaiah says, and the Lord is going to take some of these Gentiles, and he's going to make Levites out of them. Um, 
I mean, if you just think about third Isaiah, which is a late part of Isaiah's prophecies, it's really about bringing all nations and making some priests of them um, into Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem is the city of David. In chapter 66, God sends out emissaries to all these nations to gather them in. This is what's behind the reading from Luke, um, which is from Luke, uh, what is it, Luke chapter 10, where uh, Jesus says, the harvest is abundant, but the laborers are few. So ask the master of the harvest to send out laborers for his harvest. And then he talks to his disciples about it's how it's gonna be, it's gonna be difficult. I'm sending you out like lambs amongst wolves. And he tells them, carry no money bag, no sack, no sandals, and greet no one along the way, because you're traveling light and fast, because time is of the essence. So discipleship isn't easy, and when Jesus sends people out on a mission, it isn't easy either. But when they come back, uh, Jesus rejoices because even uh, the demons were subject to them. Because remember, uh, the, the walls of hell, the gates of hell will not stand against um, the church, the gates of the netherworld, the gates of Hades. And you know, there's a part in the gospel where Jesus says, I saw Satan fall uh, like lightning out of the sky. And so um, there is uh, one way of looking at it, one uh, interpretation, that since Jesus pre-exists uh, the incarnation, we don't pre-exist our birth, but Jesus is God, so he's eternal, and he pre-exists uh, the incarnation of Jesus of Nazareth, that he's referring back uh, to the same battle that's recounted in Revelation 12 about Michael fighting with um, uh, the Satan and uh, all the evil angels and forcing them out of heaven, seeing them fall at lightning as lightning from the sky. Others in our tradition have, have uh, interpreted as an allegorical reference to the churches overcoming evil and overcoming death in the world. And both of them really work, but that first one really fits apparently a first century way of thinking about Satan and evil and God's uh, destruction of, of evil in the world. But that's all rolled back into this understanding of the power of the gospel going out into the world. But what could you take out of the gospel of Luke? The story of sending the 72 out, telling them to travel light and fast, when they go to somebody's house, eat what's put in front of them, which is always uh, actually really good manners. When you go into a house, you say peace because evangelization is about peace. This is early evangelization. Um, there really isn't much Elmer Gantry or Jonathan Edwards in, in Jesus' instructions to, to, uh, on the gospel. They're supposed to, to say peace when people reject them and people do reject evangelizers. They will reject you, they'll reject me. And all Jesus says is just shake the dust off their feet, your feet and move on. Uh, don't get hung up about it. Um, maybe they will still be evangelized. Maybe they'll still be saved. Uh, you're just not the instrument that's going to do it. I talk to parents all the time who are so concerned about their kids who wander away from the faith. And I say, pray for them, uh, but perhaps this is just some kind of struggle that they're having uh, with their identity 
and uh, through your prayer, they may still be saved, but you're just not the person uh, God's chosen uh, to bring them to the gospel. You know, we always talk about the story of St. Monica, right? How she chased St. Augustine around and prayed for him and was constantly after him to get him baptized. But Augustine just kept running from her, ran from North Africa to Rome, and then she showed up, ran from Rome to Milan to escape her, and right into the clutches of Bishop Ambrose, St. Ambrose, who was the person who actually converted uh, uh, St. Augustine. Um, because uh, St. Ambrose may have been the one guy that Augustine met that was as smart as St. Augustine, because St. Ambrose was a brilliant man. So the story of St. Monica is encouraging when you're talking about evangelizing in your own family uh, with confidence that uh, God wants to claim them for himself more than even you know. But you know, if you're going to go back through this um, 11th chapter of Luke and talk about evangelization, there's at least four things that I'd ask you to think about when you think about your own efforts to evangelize. First, you know, when you're evangelizing, um, the message that you're delivering is peace. Uh, because none of us get to judge the worthiness of another soul. And so people like Jonathan Edwards and Elmer Gantry and other preachers that trade on people's fears, uh, it just isn't, it isn't what changes people's lives or brings them to the gospel. Um, Jesus calls people to love. And if you don't believe in the God of love, uh, what is salvation going to make uh, do for you anyway? Um, you just have to convince yourself that uh, salvation isn't fire insurance. It's not uh, an individual thing. Um, it's really wrought by the grace of God. And so we pray that uh, God's grace be in the lives of the people we love and their hearts be open um, to that grace. But here's the second rule uh, for evangelization is uh, you, you don't travel alone. Um, you, you got to have friends. You have to have people that you share with. Um, it's people that you talk about the challenges. Maybe other mothers or dads are worried about their kids or neighbors or friends um, that just have holy, prayerful conversations about, uh, about the gospel in other people's lives. Um, and the third thing is hospitality. And what I mean is just what kind of person you are. It's, it's wonderful to feed uh, people. It's wonderful to share a glass of wine with people. Great basis for, uh, for um, uh, evangelization. But hospitality is also just being welcoming to other people, letting them be who uh, they are. And remember that first rule about evangelization. You may just be one experience these people have in a much bigger story. And then... Uh, about God's comfort, uh, the fourth rule, I'd say, of evangelization. Um, if you don't, if you're not at peace with God, if you're afraid of God, what are you really sharing with people? So uh, to really be an evangelizer is to pray for other people and to pray um, that, you know, you don't fall into the sins that you see other people. I think one great rule in prayer is when you're praying and you're upset about other people, they're either blockheaded in your mind or they're living evil lives or whatever it is. Why don't you pray that to the extent you're guilty of that same sin, 
you ask God for mercy for you. And so kind of identifying with the sin of others um, takes us off this pulpit that people like Jonathan Edwards and Elmer Gantry occupy and, and make it like the image of Jesus's evangelizers, uh, peer to peer, uh, coming in, sharing hospitality in the house. So think of those four rules of evangelization. Um, evangelization is about um, the good news. It's about God loves us. Um, we shouldn't evangelize alone. We should have friends that we can talk about, um, uh, Catholic friends that we share a faith with, hospitality, um, who we are, uh, being comfortable with people, and then uh, having a sense of God's peace and mercy in our own lives. So as we come to the final part of uh, this episode of Oral Valley Catholic about evangelization, I'd like to talk about some things to think about, about how to prepare about evangelization. And then I'd like to quote uh, the great Fulton Sheen about the good news. You know, Jonathan Edwards is a great religious figure in American history. Um, if you ever read uh, George Marsden's Twilight of the American Enlightenment or his book on fundamentalism in American culture, he was a Presbyterian who was a professor of history at the University of Notre Dame. Such a great writer. I, I, I listened to both on Audible, and it really was an enjoyable intro into the history of Protestantism, evangelicals, congregationalism, Presbyterianism, all these kind of uh, forms of Christianity that are so foreign to the, to the Catholic mind. But the, he made them understandable so that you could get what their concerns were, even though you recognize so much of it is just kind of wrongheaded. Still, it's about Jesus, but it's just kind of an in, inadequate understanding of Jesus from a Catholic mind. And so how is it that you prepare yourself as a Catholic? And so here's the three rules I'm going to give you, but it really it'll make much sense to you if I say it. It's logos, pathos, and ethos. Logos is your intellectual preparation. Um, you got to know what you're talking about. And so, you know, in our parish, or if you uh, will sign up uh, in our parish, even if you don't often come, you get uh, form.org for free, and you get Word on Fire digital for free. And what a great way to fall in love with your Catholic faith, preached by wonderful people with great examples and art, so interesting. I call it Catholic Netflix. It's free, and it's a great way to just educate yourself over time in home with, your, with, the, with the people you love. But you should have some intellectual engagement with the faith. You should know more about the faith than a second grader does. And if you're afraid to kind of talk about the faith that you don't know it, then God is calling you to logos, to learn more about his will in our lives. And I will guarantee you, you're not hearing Elmer Gantry or Jonathan Edwards' version of thing. You're hearing Bishop Barron, and you're hearing the great staff and teachers like Brant Petrie and uh, Michael Barber and Tim Gray at Formed. These people are terrific. Um, and so there's a great way for intellectual engagement and learning something more and actually having something to say when you evangelize. Remember the second thing was pathos. Pathos is about emotion. You know, uh, Catholicism is not 
just an intellectually stimulating, objectively valuable um, understanding because it comes from God. But subjectively, emotionally, wow, Catholicism speaks to our guts. We can say that our Catholic faith is objectively important. And we can also say that it's subjectively satisfying. So in those same sources that you uh, learn about in um, Informed and on Word on Fire Digital, this is also a great way to fall in love with Jesus, uh, a deeper love with Jesus. Because at the end of the day, if you're sent out to preach, you are preaching the Lord. Um, and you know, if you if you only vocabulary you have sounds like Elmer Gantry and uh, Jonathan Edwards, you know, maybe you need to to have a deeper emotional relationship with the faith. And so, what I would say is that emotional relationship is in your prayer life, uh, getting in touch with how God has been in your life, what God has done for you, uh, how we, you've seen your marriage or your dating life. Uh, or what your hopes are for the future. And all of this is really our experience of God. And what I'd say about those two resources, form.org and Word on Fire Digital, it is a great way of having a scriptural or a, a Catholic theological reflection on your own human experience of God. This is such a big part of why that book by St. Therese of Lisieux, Story of a Soul, touched me so deeply because she was able to go from what I understood was the intellectual content of the faith that's always appealed to me. It was how she connected her life experiences, her feelings and emotions with it. That's what I found so touching. She witnessed to me in that book, and wow, that, that changed how I thought about my Catholic faith. I mean, I was going to daily math. I thought I was a devout Catholic, and in some ways I was. But you know, it's like falling in love. You start dating, you get a little more serious, you get married, and then those next 50 to 60 years of your married life, you are falling deeper in a more mature love for your spouse. And if you're uh, married to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, remember the human part of that equation is always the same. God never changes, but friends, we do. In our intellectual engagement, engagement and you know, from our guts, our emotional response to God. And then finally, ethos. Um, and ethos is how do you live? Um, be honest about your struggles with sin. Gosh, uh, that's a huge part of evangelization. If you think you've got to be perfect to evangelize, the gospel would never have gotten out of Galilee, for heaven's sake. No, it's our engagement in our marriages, and your marriages at least, um, in your dating lives, in your friendships, in your work. That's really the, the meat and potatoes of evangelization. Otherwise, what are you doing? Are you preaching the 15 rules of Catholicism? Are you handing people a copy of the catechism uh, and calling it evangelization? Um, I know that in some places in India, um, they will take, according to Father Serge Propst, who has been there a lot, he says some uh, fundamentalist preachers just take paperback Bibles and throw them through the front door of people's houses, of Hindus' houses, and call it evangelization. One of the reasons there's a backlash against some kinds of Christians in, it, in, 
in India and Catholics get caught up in it. But throwing the Bible in somebody's uh, front door is not evangelization. Father Serge says that since they're such humble people, they refuse to destroy anybody's sacred text. That's what Serge said, Father Serge. Um, but still, he would say, not effective evangelization. We speak out of love, our love for God and our love for people around us. Love is the only credible witness. And so how we're intellectually formed, the logos, how we're emotionally connected to our faith, the pathos, and then the ethos, how it is that we live. Um, and that life is not a perfect life, but it is a life where we go through our struggles every day with God. You know, the uh, modern philosopher Marshall McLuhan, who was a Catholic and a devout Catholic, he once quipped, the medium is the message. And so we each are the message when we go out to evangelize. And what do people see in us? Well, not perfection, but we should be able to explain to people why it is that we're come to Mass on Sundays, that we recognize that we got faults in life, and uh, we want to get better, but that the idea that you have to be perfect to be a Catholic, you got to have all your ducks in a row, this is not what uh, evangelization is. And that's the problem ultimately of Jonathan Edwards and Elmer Gantry, making people feel guilty about their lives so they show up. So anyway, I wanted to read this quote because I thought this captured the gospel. And the great Bishop Fulton Sheen in his book, The Eternal Galilean. And so to close this episode of Oral Valley Catholic, listen to Fulton Sheen talk about evangelization and what preaching is. Jesus came to us to carry on in exchange, to say to us as only the good God could say, give me your humanity and I will give you my divinity. Give me your time and I will give you my eternity. Give me your weary body and I will give you my redemption. Give me your broken heart and I will give you love. Give me your nothingness and I will give you my all. That, friends, is evangelization drawing people to the God of love. So, yeah, the culture has some weird ideas about how it is you bring people to God, especially some of our fellow Christians who I think are just very misled. Doesn't mean that we can't respond to the truth. Can't mean that we can't be intellectually and emotionally prepared for to evangelize and live it in our lives. God bless you. The 72, you're all being sent out. This is Oral Valley Catholic. If you've liked this episode, give me a like. God bless you, and I'll hopefully be with you next week.